Yeah. Oh, Mindy, I'm about to start writing those for her, so I know what she's going to say. <laughs> well, hey, uh, welcome to Central. My name's Clayton. I'm glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. If you'd like to follow along with the message, just take your phone out, scan these QR codes, or better yet, make sure you get the, our Central app, and you can follow along uh, that way and have all the notes um, for, for today and all the other sermons. Uh, I'm excited about this message because we are in week three of four weeks talking about Abraham and his life and how he went from wandering around, kind of like a life that we would all forget about, to a life where he was winning, where it, it, it made an impact in other people's lives. And I think for all of us, we want to have lives like that in, in some form or fashion. And so that's what we're going to be talking about again today. So a little recap. First week, we talked about how you need to either choose comfort or you got to choose the calling that God has for your life. And the reality is, it's like those, those things are two polar opposites. Like, are you going to be focused on the comfort in this life, and that's what you're chasing after, or are you going to chase after what God has called you to do? And that's what Abraham had to choose. And then, last week, we talked about how we need to embrace the promises that God has, has given us, and especially the promises that we have through Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so Abraham had to embrace the promise, promises, this covenant that God had, had given him. And so we talked about a little bit about what that looked like. So today we're going to fast forward to Genesis chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and turn there. I just want to say a big shout out to everybody that's online. Thank you guys for watching um, today. Um, we're glad that you're, you're participating um, wherever you may, you may be at um, today. So Abraham is with God. He's having this conversation with God, and it's very interesting. It's a crazy, weird story, okay? So the Bible sometimes is, is full of just weird stories, and if you will, every once in a while, just stop when you're reading the Bible and go, now, wait a minute. That's, that's just weird, like what's, what's happening. So Abraham, he has this big family. They have servants. They have animals, they have, it's pretty much like a moving city, okay? And they're moving around, and they're in the middle of this land. This land is full of other people, and they're not worshiping God. And there's this story where God shows up and has this one-on-one, in-person conversation with, with Abraham. He appears to Abraham, and he's, he's talking to him. And Abraham is looking down uh, past the Dead Sea, on the other side of the Dead Sea, and looking at this they call it the land of the plains. It's in the, the bottom, the south side of the Dead Sea. And there are these two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. We probably heard about them in the Bible before. And so God is showing Abraham these cities and saying, look, it is bad. Things are going terrible over there. I've heard the cries of the people, and I am going to destroy these cities for what they have done. Judgment is coming on these cities. And something happens in the story. I want you guys to read it with me in Genesis 18. It'll be up on the screen. But here's what happens in verse 24. So Abraham is talking to God and says, okay, so God, before you do that, suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you, will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? And the Lord replied and said, okay, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. So there was this agreement that God has with Abraham. Hey, if there's 50 great people, 50 good people living their life for me, doing what is right, then I will, I will save the whole city if that happens. And so the story goes on, and it gets a little stranger. Here's what happens. 
Then Abraham spoke again. He's like, okay, let me press my luck a little bit here. So since I've begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. I understand where I am. I understand my position compared to God. But I'm just taking a chance here, God, since you and I are having this conversation. He says, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, okay, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people living there. And it gets crazy. It says that Abraham pressed his request further. He's like, man, I've already done this once. Let me try again. And so he goes from increments of five to increments of 10 going down. And he says, okay, how about 40? How about 30? How about 20? And each time God says, okay. And then it ends with this. Here's what, it, what he says at the end. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time, one more offer, okay? Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. And when the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. This is a weird, crazy story, this encounter between God and Abraham. And honestly, if you look at that, Abraham is the world's best negotiator, isn't he? That he could talk God down from the decision that God had, had made. I mean, he knew the art of the deal before Trump ever wrote the art of the deal. You know what I'm saying? He's the, he's the number one negotiator of, of all time if he could get God to agree to this. Now, this is kind of a weird story, but think about this. This is something new for Abraham. He's doing something different than he has ever really done before because his whole life had honestly been about himself. Abraham's life had been about himself. It was, it was about the promise that God had with him, this covenant that God had with him. It's about his family. It's about um, him gaining all these possessions and, and all this fame. I mean, he's becoming somebody important. Now think about, for us, we're kind of the same. Every single one of us in our own stories of our lives, we're the hero, aren't we? I mean, we are the main character in our own story. And the same thing was happening with Abraham. He was the main character. But something happened to him. I don't know why he did this, but evidently his heart changed. Abraham's heart went from being maybe a little selfish, all about himself and the things and the promises that God had for him. It sounds great. And something changed, and he began to think about other people. And Abraham, he steps in between God and the city of, of Sodom, and that's a, that's a very dangerous place to be, okay, to be in between God's wrath and the city that God is going to destroy because of their wickedness. And he begs God to save the city. And we've all kind of been in that situation, maybe not between God and somebody else, but between two people. Maybe you're in middle school and there's a fight going on in the locker room, and what'd you do? You stepped in between, right? Maybe that person, they're like, hey, guys, buddies, we got, we got to figure this out, okay? Or maybe you're at home and there's disagreements going on and you are the person that steps in between the, the two family members and says, let's work this out, let's figure this out. We sometimes step in between two different people, two opposing sides, and that's exactly what Abraham did. And so here's my question for you today. Do you have a heart like Abraham? It's a question that I think you need to ask yourselves. Do, do I have a heart like Abraham. What I mean by that is, are you concerned about other people or are you just concerned about yourself? Are you concerned enough about other people that you're willing to stand in the gap between something bad happening to them or a life that will eventually hurt them? Are you willing to stand in the gap to try to save 
people. You see, Jesus was. When he went from city to city, whether it was a big city or a little town, when he was going between those places where people were, he would show up and he would, he was concerned about him, right? He would stop and, and talk to people. He would walk slowly through the city. He would listen to people's needs. He would share truth with them and he would heal them. And he, he spent time with people. He, he was a busy guy. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. They wanted to talk to him. They wanted him to do something special in their lives. And Jesus, he took so much time to care for other people. He cared deeply. In fact, the Bible says this in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is going to Jerusalem for the very last time, guys. This is the last time he's going to enter Jerusalem, about one week before his death. Here's what it says in Luke 19. It says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. To weep. Now Jesus is, he's, on, he's actually on the Mount of Olives. And so that's on the east side of Jerusalem. And I've always had this idea that Jerusalem was like the highest, biggest, most amazing city. But honestly, the mountains around are actually taller than the, the city itself. The city's kind of on a, on a mount, okay? And it's on Mount Zion, and the Mount of Olives is right over here. And so when you would cross over the, the Mount of Olives, you actually look down into the city of Jerusalem. On those on the other side, on another mountain top. And you could see the people walking down in there. You could see the, the rooftops. You could see the, 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 the wall all, all around it. You could see life happening. And it says that Jesus, he got on top of the mountain and he looked down to the city of Jerusalem and he wept. The reason he wept is because he loved the city. He loved the people in it, and he wept for them. And let me, say, let me say this. Jesus also weeps for our city. He weeps for the community that we live in. And the question that we, also, we ought to kind of figure out is, what is my city? So you might be saying, hey, Clayton, I don't live in Owasso, so you know, this really isn't my city. So what is your city? Well, your city is just the people around you, Okay. Whether you live out in the country, whether you live in Owasso, whether you live in Claremore or, or Tulsa or Collinsville. But let's just say that our city is about a 15-minute drive around Owasso or around, around this church, okay? So that would include Owasso. It would include Collinsville. Did you know that right now this community that's 15 minutes away from us is larger than it has ever been? In fact, in the last 20 years... It has grown by 105%. Not 5%, but 105%. It's more than doubled in size. And I counted this week the number of churches that are within 15 minutes of us. You know how many churches there are? 77 churches, okay? Within 15 minutes of us. That's what I counted. I don't know if that's completely accurate, but 77 churches within 15 minutes of us. And for a lot of us, we've kind of looked at our culture and said, you know what? That's the culture we live in. We have a, a, a church on every corner. You know, I could throw a rock and hit, a, hit any church, you know, from wherever I'm at. But the truth is, is that what really defines our, our, our community and our culture is that the majority of people, about a little over, over 50%, which is about 35 to 40,000 people in that within 15 minutes of here, do not have a relationship with Jesus. We would consider them unchristian. And so we have to go from a, a place about thinking about where our city is, from a, thinking about 
There's a church on every corner. In fact, there's too many churches. We need to close a bunch of churches down, okay, or whatever. You have to go from that to realize that we are a, actually an, an unchristian majority in our community. You see, Christianity doesn't drive our culture anymore. The American dream drives our culture. All you got to do is try to go to Chick-fil-A today, right? Chick-fil-A is one of the only businesses that is closed on Sunday because it is driven by Christian principles, okay? The people that, that own it and run it. But that's about it. The rest of our culture is not revolving around Christianity like it used to. Instead, it's revolving around the American dream. And honestly, it's okay to, to, to mourn that. It's okay to not be okay with that. But you got to get over it, okay? We eventually have to get over it and actually do something about it. Things have to change. Something has to change. And let, let, me, let me tell you what has to change. It's something here on the screen. I think this is really important. We gotta stop crying because of the city. And instead, we gotta start crying for the city, right? For too long, we might have been crying because of the city and worried about the culture, and man, this place is just going, cra- going you know, to hell. We don't know what's going on. Like, it's just not what it used to be. Instead, we gotta say, you know what? Maybe we need to start crying for the city and being concerned for the city. Because what happens is when you cry for the city and its sake, God moves. How do I know that? Go back to Genesis, the story of Abraham. Look what happens in chapter 19. So the wrath of God still comes on the city. But look what happens. Abraham got up early in the morning, and he hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. And he looked out across the plain toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and he watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. So things were going bad in the cities. God's wrath had come upon the cities. But look at verse 29. It's probably one of the most important verses in all of this passage. But God had listened to Abraham's request and he kept Lot safe. So Lot is Abraham's nephew and his family. He removed him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. God did listen to Abraham. And God was moved and he saved some in the city. We got to be concerned the same way for our city. And here's what we need to do we got to start fighting for our city. Abraham was fighting for that city, for the people. And we need to be the same way. We got to fight for our city. This is what Jesus would do. This is what he did back in Luke 19. We talked about where he came over to the Mount of Olives and he looks down and he's weeping for the city. You know what he did? Let me say this. You know what he didn't do? He didn't weep for the city and then, then like, uh, uh, lost cause, I'm, I'm leaving, and turn around and go the other way. He didn't just stand on top of the Mount of Olives and just complain about the problems with the city. No, he actually walked down into the city and he spent time with people. He, he uh Turned over, you know, some tables in, in the, the temple. He cleansed the temple. He was concerned about that. He taught people truth. He cared for people and met their needs. He loved the city. He was fighting for the city. You know how he, you know how he did it? He did it one person at a time and one family at a time. And so what I'd like to do now is kind of think about that from 
not just some head knowledge that we, we have sometimes about biblical things, but how can you and I practically do that? How can you and I practically say, okay, I want to be like Abraham and I want to fight for my city. And I want to be like Jesus who had this deep concern and wept for his city. How can I do that? So let me give you some practical advice on how to fight for your city, okay? First is this. you got to serve them first. You have to serve people before you start beating them over the head with the Bible. In fact, don't beat them over the head with the Bible at all, okay? But the first thing we need to do is we need to show people that we care about them. In Jeremiah chapter 29, there's this, this passage right here on the screen. It's a tough verse because the people, the Hebrew people were in exile. They've been taken, everything's been taken from them, okay? They hated the people in Babylon, the place that they were at. And here's what Jeremiah says. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what God's calling you to do. Work for the city. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray to God for your enemies, the people that are against you, the people that are maybe even hurt you. Pray for them. For its welfare will determine your welfare. We have to be different. We have to serve people sometimes even before we share the gospel with them. And that's not just like an idea. That's, that's, that's biblical. That's what Jesus did. He would meet people's needs and then give them truth. Practically for, for today, it's kind of like this. You ever seen those street preachers on the, on the, the corners? You see them sometimes. I mean, there's some here in the Owasso area that, that, that preach, you know, on, on the street corners as cars passing by or people are walking. They got the big signs and they're like, repent, you know? And I'm sorry, when has that ever worked? Like, it just makes people mad. You know what? It makes me mad. Because I'm like, stop doing what you're doing. Because people don't want what you're selling. You want to know why? Because they don't know if you care for them or not. They think you're just trying to convert them to your cause and use them ultimately. You know what's different than street preaching? It's something that we're doing. If you go outside, you, you can see something we've been working on. It's just this, uh, we talk about it sometimes, this, this thing called Central Field. If you go on Google Maps, you can search for it, and it's, boom, it's right there. We got Google Maps. It's Central Field. And it's this ball field that we've created on just this empty lot that we've owned for over a decade. We're not doing anything with it. It's just growing grass, and we're mowing. That's all we're doing with it. We said, you know what? Let's take this, a little bit of property, and let's do something for our community that people actually need. And one thing we realized is that in our community, there's almost no place for a dad and his son or for a team to just come and to practice and to do life together. You have to pay for it. Anywhere you go. My, my daughter plays softball, and I know. Like every practice, everybody's shelling out money to places to be able to, to, to practice somewhere. There's no place like Central Field. And we created this place. You know how much we charge people? You know how much we charge teams to come and practice? Zero. Nothing. We don't charge them a dime. We actually have seven teams that have signed up in like two days last week. Okay, we opened it up. Seven teams said, we want to be there. Thank you. We have an entire neighborhood that somehow that this, this field got on um, their Facebook page, and it like exploded. And it was comment after comment of the neighborhood behind us saying, thank you. 
wow, that's crazy that someone would do that. We have these big signs up that says, this is a free use facility, come and use it. Those are the rules, okay? <laughs> like, come and use it. There's no strings attached. You know what we're doing? We're saying we're for you. We love you. We want to serve you. And that's what we have to do. We have to serve people first. That's what we have to do, serve our community first. Here's another thing that we can do to fight for our city is this. We can begin to pray for people. And the way we do that is we've got to expand our prayer list. The problem is for a lot of us, our prayer list is very personal, and it's for us. And usually it's about people's ailments, isn't it? You know, my, my cousin's got this. I've got this thing going on. I got, you know, it's just, it's just all these things. I mean, we, we have broken bodies today, okay? It's all, all sorts of stuff happening. But how much of your prayer list is actually praying for people just for them? Because you have a concern for them. Whether it's a neighbor or someone you've met in the community Someone that God has put on your heart, where are they in your, in your prayer list? Colossians chapter 4 talks about this. In fact, we're going to kind of sit here for just a little bit. Here's what Colossians 4 says. It says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart and pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. A lot of words to say this. Paul's saying, pray for people and pray for us so we have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And he goes on and says this. That's why I'm here in chains in verse 4. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I, sh I should. So, hey, here's what the church needs to do. This church was living in a pagan culture. People that were against them. Hostile territory. And Paul's saying, pray for other people. And pray that we have opportunities to share the gospel. And pray that we don't screw up, okay? Pray that we do it well. On your prayer list, do you have people there? Or is it all just you? Philippians chapter 2 says that as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, you should have a concern for them greater than the concerns you have for yourself. And that's not just in action, but it's also in, in your prayer life. Pray for them. How do you want to fight for your city? Pray for people. Put them at the top of your list every single day. Here's something else you can do. I think it's a big one. Every single one of us. We need to open our eyes. We need to open our eyes to the reality that, that surrounds us, okay? We got to understand what actually is happening in our communities. I think some of us, we kind of ignore it and don't want to think about it, but there's stuff going on in our communities. Look what Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 says, so the very next verse says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. It says, hey, live wisely. Well, what in the world does live wisely mean? Live wisely means you know what's going on around you, okay? So you can make good decisions. The problem is, is we've assumed some things about our community. We live in the suburbs. And we've assumed that nice, shiny people have nice, shiny lives. But the reality is, is people are broken. I don't care if they have two cars and a two-story house. People are broken today. They live behind their HOA fences they drive past these perfect lawns, and people inside are hurting. They're consumed with debt and financial problems. They're, they're concerned about their, their kids. Their marriage is having issues. People are broken. Everything is not okay. we got to realize that and realize something else. They're primed for the gospel. Jesus says that, that the harvest is plentiful, right? 
that they are ripe for the harvest. He's just saying, who's going to go and actually care for them and care about them and ultimately share the gospel with them? We think we live in a Christian community, but actually we don't. There are more people who are lost than are saved. What are we doing about it? Do we care? Are we just living in this bubble? We have to be different. we got to be different. Here's another way you can fight for your city. It's the last one is this. It's a tough one. No, it's not. It's easy. Just go back to living your normal life, okay? But instead, living on purpose this time. I'm not asking you to change up everything and sell your house and, you know, give it to, like, I'm not asking you to do, to like completely radically change your life. Just go back to what you're doing because God's got you in a certain place, certain job with friends, neighbors, your kids on teams and all those kind of things. He's got you in a, on a, in a per- perfect place for you. What God is wanting you to do is just live it on purpose instead of just living. Look at the next verse in verse six of Colossians four. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. How about living your life on purpose? The conversations you have with other people. The other day, Rylan and I, were, um, we went to Rib Crib. Anybody like Rib Crib? Okay, good? Okay. So we went to, yeah, of course. So, so we went to Rib Crib, and uh, we were actually, it was during like, lunch, during the work day, and and we were working through um, creating a, a catchy name for a capital campaign that we're working on uh, promoting to everybody, okay? And so we're working through that, trying to figure out what's a good name for it. We go and sit down at, at Rib Crib, and we're thinking through all this stuff and thinking about, okay, how do we share this with, with not only our people but our community and say, here's the purpose of some of the, the building plans we have. Is it, is it just for us or is it for um, people who aren't here yet? We realize it is for people who aren't here yet. Like we want to create a church that is outwardly focused and actually cares about our community. So how can we do that with our space that we have right here? We're working through all this and talking. And let me tell you, I can remember everything about that day. I can remember what we drank. No, not, don't think anything about it. Okay, it's rib, it's rib care, guys. Remember. So uh, Rylan had a, had a uh, unsweet tea, okay? I had a Diet Coke. I remember what we ate. I had the pulled pork. Rylan had smoked chicken. We both had a salad, no tomatoes, with ranch on the side. It was kind of weird. It's like we were on a date or something. It was kind of strange. It was too, too common. He had beans and I had green beans. I remember everything. I remember he got a to-go container and put half his food in there. And I was like, yeah, I need one of those too. And we started talking too much. I ate all my food. Okay, I didn't even need it anymore. <laughs> you know what I don't remember about that day? I don't remember our waitress's name. Because I didn't ask for it. We went and sat down, and we just didn't care. How sad is that? We're talking about the church, and we're talking about lost people in front of her. And we didn't even ask her her name. That's sad. When are we going to be different? That is just living life. That's, but that is not living life on purpose. And God is calling all of us to live our lives on purpose. You know, what the, you know what that looks like? Here's another example. And I got permission to share this. But we have another church member. He's in the first service. His name is Rob. So a lot of you guys know about Rob. But Rob calls me up and says, like, hey, Clayton, you want to go eat lunch somewhere? He does this all the time. And so we go and eat lunch. He picks me up. 
here at the church in his truck, and we always talk about where do you want to go? And we're like, I don't know. You know, that, that, like a married couple, right? We're, trying to, we're, trying to, we're fighting over where we're going to go. But here's the deal. Every time, it doesn't matter where we want to go, his truck just magically makes its way to Chili's every time. It's like it just always goes to Chili's, and we eat at Chili's. You want to know why we do that? It's for years. Rob has been going to Chili's many times every week, okay? He's been going a lot. Because he is investing in some of the wait staff there. And he knows their names. He knows about their kids. He knows what's going on in their lives. And they're expecting him to show up. He shows up. And he's not even having a conversation with me. Like he's just having this long conversation with, with this, this waitress. Because he cares about those people. I was like, man, that's, that's inspirational, right? He's just going to lunch, but he's doing it on purpose. God isn't asking you to change your entire life. He's just asking you to live your life on purpose. Like when you go to your kid's ball game, put your phone down, right? How many guys, how many of y'all, you go, you go to a public place and everybody's just, there's lost people all around you. If you see someone from our church at a sporting event and they have their phone out, just slap it out of them, okay? <laughs> just do it. You have my permission. Except for mine, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm the worst, too. When are we going to stop thinking just about ourselves and start thinking about other people and caring about other people and start loving them? Here's how this looks like in those situations. You just introduce yourself to them. I know it would be kind of weird. In today's culture, to actually talk to a stranger, but introduce yourself to them, find some common ground, talk to them about their kids, genuinely care about them, celebrate wins with them in life when, when they have hurts, like mourn with them and be concerned over the hurts in, in their life. And what happens is, is over time, you're going to gain an audience to be able to share the gospel. And actually, you're going to have the right to share the gospel, an opportunity to do that because you know what you've told them? You said, I care about you. More than a cause. We're trying to convert you to something. I genuinely care about you. That's living your life on purpose. That's how you fight for your city. So how is Central doing that? In some ways, we are getting in the ring and, and fighting for our city as well. We kind of talked to you about some of the building stuff we're trying to do. Why would we spend money and do all this stuff and all these plans to try to renovate and add on to our facility? Why would we do that? Well, the reason is because, is simple reason, we want to speak the language of our culture. We want them to drive by, we want them to walk into our facility and realize that we care about them. And our facilities can show that. It can also show that we don't care about them too. We've, we've invested heavily in our kids' ministry. You wanna know why? Because we polled our community and said, what is the number one thing you care about? And it's their kids. And so what we're saying is we care about your kids too. And we're showing it. We're serious about it. We've changed up how we do our worship services. Why? It's not because this is just what the staff wants to do or this is Clayton's preferences. It's not that at all. It's because we want to speak the language of our community. It's why we've had to do some things that are really tough. We've had to retire the choir. And that's emotional. The reason we did that is because it doesn't speak the language of our culture anymore. And it's got to be an open-handed issue. We've got to be okay with that. 
Did y'all know that there's a choir loft back here? Some of y'all don't even realize it. It's just a bunch of lights right now. This place used to look completely different 20 years ago because it was speaking the language of the culture 20 years ago. And the culture changes about every three years. Y'all know that? Just flips on its head. It's crazy. It's hard to catch up as a church. But we're trying. We're calling everyone to serve. That's another thing we're doing here at Central. We're calling people to serve. Why? It's not for, just for us. It's so that this thing called the church can be outwardly focused and actually meet people's needs who are far from Christ. We love them. We love them because Jesus loved them. We want to do everything we can to help them. It takes all of us serving, so we call everybody to serve. Here's another big thing we're doing. We've kind of become okay and willing to offend Christians so that we don't offend non-Christians. Big time. That's a tough one. We've been willing to, to offend some people that are, have some preferences, and maybe at times we get self-seeking in the things we're doing. And we said, you know what, this is tough, but we're willing to do that for the sake of lost people. We want to be an outwardly focused church. That's who we want to be. But here's a warning. You can't program compassion. Our church will never be for the community until you are. Like it starts with families. It starts with individuals. I mean, think about this. If Central moved, like we just ceased to exist would anyone notice besides us? Like for a lot of us, we've been here for a long time, and this is just our world. And we're like, oh, man, everything would be on, upside down and on its head. But for the average person, the community behind us, the community across the street from us, would they even notice? Man, I've been in, in, in the community, and I was trying to tell someone, like, what church I went to. And I had to explain it with the, by the green roof. You know, that's all they knew um, Central as. And they, they're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're like, come on. This is, the world revolves around this place, right? Well, for us it does. But for them, maybe it doesn't. Would people even miss this place if it was gone? Are we being compassionate towards our community? Are we reaching our community? Let me get real, real personal with you real quick. If your family got up and moved to another state, would it affect other people at all? Would it affect the parents on your kid's team? How about the, the waitress at your favorite spot? Or that college student that you, you always go get coffee from, they make your coffee every morning at the drive-thru. Your neighbors, would it affect them? Are you living your life on purpose? You see, Abraham had this compassion for people. He had compassion for the entire city. Not just his family, but the entire city. And the question is, do you, do we have a compassion for people who are different than us? People that may have different ideas than we do, desires than we do. Do we care about people? If you're new here, if you're not a Christian in this room or watching online, let me say this. This is what Christians should be like. We should be like that. This is what the church should look like. Are we there yet? No, but we're trying. We're trying. 
you know, we want to be a church where Jesus changes everything. And that's like a 30,000-foot view of things. It's hard to grasp onto that, changing like a community and our world and all that kind of stuff. But let me just get real personal. What if every single one of us, get this, and we'll be finished. What if every single one of us just focused on one person this year? Trying to change the world or even your community sounds like a daunting task because it is, and you can't do it by yourself. But how about this? What if you just focused on one person? That's what Jesus would do. He would go and, and he, would, he would look eye to eye with one person and meet their needs and explain things to them and love them. What if you and I just focused on one person? We began to pray for that person. Whatever, whoever that person is, God puts on your heart. We began to invest in them and spend time with them. And ultimately, hopefully, be able to share what Jesus has done in our lives to them, right? What would happen? Well, families would be changed. Our community would be transformed. This place would be full of people, new people. And for that one person, get this, Jesus would change everything in their life. That's what it means to be a church where Jesus changes everything. We're not talking about us conquering the world. We're talking about one person and God changing their life. What would happen if every one of us just did that? Now, this won't be easy. I mean, they crucified Jesus for doing this, okay? But it's what we're called to do. There may be some persecution when you stand up, when you, when you share your faith with people, but that's what God has called us to do. It may be difficult. Let me tell you this. It's worth it, right? People are worth it. The future of our city is worth it. Here's the question. Are you willing to fight for the city? Abraham was, Jesus sure was, are you? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at Abraham and his life. And I just pray a simple prayer today, two things. Lord, if there are people in this room or watching online who do not have a relationship with you, I pray that they'd be able to see what the church is all about. It's all about us living for a Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to save us from our sins, that they can have that same gift and they would just trust in him. It's free. Second, God, I pray for every one of us in this room who says they're a Christian, but maybe they've been, we've been self-centered. We're not really fighting for our community. We're just mourning over it. We're just running to the church to hide. And I pray, God, that we begin to, to really be invested in people, in the lives that you have put in, in our lives. Maybe it is a waitress. Maybe it is a husband and wife sitting on the bleachers next to us. Maybe it's a coworker. And these people, you know, we know, God, that they're, they don't have a relationship with you, and we want them to have that. What a great gift. We want to give them and explain that to them. I pray, God, that you would help us to be for our city, to fight for them, to love them, to live life on purpose. I pray, God, that today you convict us of that. When we go to restaurants, <laughs> maybe we'd stretch our muscles a little bit and try. Throughout this week, 
give us opportunities to either say yes to your message today or to say no. <laughs> and I pray that we would say yes. We begin to invest in other people's lives and count them more important than ourselves. That is tough, but God, you're calling us to do that. So help us, God. Help us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, let's stand and let's just sing one final song of response, saying, God, you have our whole lives. Be glorified. We'll sing it, oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. And Christ be our service every week by saying our purpose statement together. But before we do that, I just want to invite you. If God's been speaking to your heart this morning, if you need to make a decision for Christ, maybe you need to recommit your life, you've wandered, wandered off and you need to say today, I'm coming back to God. Or maybe for the first time saying yes to Jesus. You can see us at our connection room in the corner when we dismiss in just a moment. Our ministers will be there. We'd love to just pray with you, whatever you may need. So let's do that. Let's say our purpose statement, reminding ourselves what we're going to be doing when we leave this place. Central Baptist Church, we exist to live for Christ, love people, and make disciples. Have a great week.